everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the MLB Extras Nationals podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jamal Collier, our MLB.com Nationals reporter. And the Nationals have been busy this week, lots of rumors as well. And the recruiting tours have begin a, begun a rite of passage for the hot stove season as the biggest name free agents make their way around to the possible landing spots. It's almost like high school athletes getting the big treatment as they try to pick a college. Very similar. And and the guy that's making that tour right now is who we will start with. That is Patrick Corbin. Uh, he made it to Philadelphia on Tuesday, Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. As we record this on Thursday, he is in the Bronx visiting with the Yankees, who seem to be the favorite in this whole thing going into it. But more and more teams seem to be rumored around Corbin. It's interesting with the Nationals because obviously the focus, Jamal, this offseason so far has been Harper, Harper, Harper. Uh, but Corbin is certainly interesting, and you add him into the mix at the top end of that rotation with with Scherzer and Strasburg, and that's a very impressive starting rotation. Yeah, I mean, the starting pitching has always been kind of the, the what the Nationals have built this team around. And last year, it really was for the first time really one of their, their weaknesses. You know, for the first time, since this run, they, you know, since 2012, they finished last year with an ERA over four as a starting pitching staff that was seventh in the National League, the lowest they finished since 2011. So starting pitching was always going to be something that they wanted to address. <clears throat> and usually when Mike Rizzo and, and, and company address starting pitching, they, they like to add to the front of their rotation. Think about when they added Max Scherzer, when they, uh, you know, even Doug Fister back when, they, when his prime and they added him. Um, you know, they usually don't like to, to, to go for the middle to, to back tier guys. Like almost if you add to the front and bump everybody back, they just like to make the rotation stronger that way. So they really felt that Corbin was the strongest pitcher on the market. So it's not really a surprise they're meeting with him. Um, but at the same time, it's still a, a, a kind of an intriguing factor when you think about the other needs they have and just kind of the money it may take to 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 sign Corbin. I think uh, Ken Rosenthal today in the Athletic reported that you know they're probably looking for a six year deal, and you know the Nationals already have a lot of money tied up to Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer for the future, and you know can they afford to to go after Corbin uh, aggressively? Um, by all accounts, it seems like they are. It seems like this is you know a, a pretty main target for the Nationals and somebody that they think adding that kind of starting pitcher, and you're right, pairing him with Max and Strasburg and then Corbin and then having Tanner Roark and then kind of figuring out the fifth starter spot, you know, that that gives them the best chance to get back to where they want to be, uh, which is the postseason and, and, and leading this this division. If they can put together that kind of strong and, and formidable staff like they've had in years past. Of course, it, it begs the question, if you bring in Corbin six years over $100 million, can you also bring back Bryce Harper? That's the question that I think immediately jumps into every national fan's mind. Uh, what is your thought on that? Yeah, I think, you know, without having done the math and knowing exactly what their budget uh, is going to be, I think there is a scenario they could do both. Um, you know, looking at just uh, the, the kind of money they have allocated, it's going to depend, obviously, on what the exact number is going to be on Bryce. If that number is closer to, to $400 million over 10 years or whatever it is, you know, it's unlikely, but if they can get Bryce for somewhere around, I don't know, 30, 33 30 or $30 million or something and, and somewhere around there, perhaps they could push their uh, their payroll up that at that point they probably would not probably live with what they have as second base, maybe try to sign another reliever for cheap, uh, maybe another starting pitcher for cheap. And really that'd probably be their big kind of free agent splashes. But um, that's kind of just the thing they're going to figure out right now, see exactly how they can match up 
uh, you know, you know the, the pieces around Bryce and potentially giving Bryce Harper that kind of big contract if it does come down to it and he just, and, you know, they can work out a deal between the two sides. Um, I think one thing that's clear from the meeting with Corbin, just from the way they've continued to operate, is that, you know, Rizzo said that they can't afford to wait on Bryce Harper this offseason, that they were going to kind of continue to, to go about their offseason plans as scheduled. And we see that so far. I mean, they're still going to make the meetings with Corbin. They're still, you know, obviously went to address their bullpen, went to address their catcher. Um, they're not sitting around and kind of waiting for Harper to do things and then kind of reacting from there. I think that they do have some concurrent plans here. And I think that there's still a scenario right now where Harper can fit in those plans. Um, but, you know, again, that they're, they're starting to kind of put some of these things in motion to fill some of these needs before these players get signed up or, or decide to go elsewhere. It's interesting because the Phillies have kind of had the same pitch that they're not going to wait around for Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, you have Boris there who is – very comfortable being patient and waiting, but as more and more teams say they're not going to wait, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I have a feeling that he will not be affected by those comments by either team, and Boris will take his time, and and generally he ends up getting his guy the right deal, the most money for sure. You mentioned catcher, and they get Kurt Suzuki. Um, They were one of the many teams rumored to be involved and and on the – JT Real Muto trade sweepstakes. Slowly teams are dropping off of that as well as the Braves have gone out and signed Brian McCann. The Nationals bring back Kurt Suzuki. This is a guy that there's obviously a comfortable comfort level with. Yeah, and, and I think that that played a big role in and just the, the fact that you know, they had to do something to catcher. And you look at just the, the, the lack of production they've gotten over the past two seasons from catcher that to even make this move uh it just it's a a step in the right direction for them they had to you know suzuki's been a really really good offensive player and you look at just kind of the money that he's going to get compared to maybe some of the other free agents or guys with the the, you know lineups uh, signed to long-term deals i think that this value wise made a lot of sense for the nationals um i think the question is going to be you know just how much can suzuki play and how much do they expect him to play you know, I think as as the Braves saw, he's he's kind of best utilized when you can put him somewhere in between ninety to one hundred games. Maybe play him, uh, yeah, you know, play him with, with another catcher as a, as a backup, and, and and really just kind of put him in the right situations and matchups, and almost as a platoon. And I think right now the Nets don't have a perfect guy for that. You know, I think that there's a, there's a chance that they'll use kind of the combination of Spencer Keyboom and Pedro Severino to kind of uh, to offset that and and have one of those guys catch about sixty or fifty games. You know, along with Suzuki, who's 35, um, going to turn 36 next year. Um, you know, I, I think that it would be wise for them to find some kind of catcher to complement with him. It's, it's suddenly become a sort of a deep catcher's market. Uh, when you look at, you know, not talking about Rio Nuzzo, but the guys in free agency, uh, with Grandall and Wilson Ramos uh, that have been out there and even kind of slower down the rung in the next tier between uh, Robinson Chirinos and Jonathan Lucroy. We've, they've been rumors about the Pirates, potentially willing to trade uh, Cervelli. There's rumors about the, the Blue Jays and, and Russell Martin. And there's just a lot of a lot of catchers out there that could potentially help teams, um, or at least be some kind of replacement level and serviceable. And I think that it would be wise to me, at least for the Nats, to go out and find one of those guys to pair with Suzuki and really just have a formidable duo there that you're not burning Suzuki out by catching him 120, 130 games at his age. It's probably not prudent for anybody involved, uh, but also just have a chance to keep him fresh, keep him you know productive offensively, and have another option off the bench without, you know, you, you, you need uh, Severino or Kibu to make a pretty big step forward from what they showed offensively last year to, to be able to give you that that proper production behind him. So um, it's, it's a big move for them and a, and a nice step forward for them because they really, really, really needed a catcher. And uh, it's nice to see them kind of strike early and now be in a kind of an advantageous position to see whether or not they can find a value in a backup. 
Second base has been a spot that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, even if the team has at times poo-pooed the real need for an addition there. But I think there is one. Um, and those rumors have started to kind of come up a little bit more, a little more smoke around that situation. Um, DJ LeMayhew, one of the guys that is rumored. There's obviously lots of guys out there and available. Jamal, you have guys like Jed Lowry at the end of their careers, Josh Harrison. Marwin Gonzalez is probably going to get pretty good money this year because he can play everywhere. Um, which of those guys makes the most sense or, or maybe is the most likely guy the Nationals could end up getting? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Marvin Gonzalez. Uh, you're, you're correct that, you know, because of his versatility and because of kind of the years he's had with Houston the last couple of seasons, um, he's not going to be cheap. And I think that, you know, when you're looking for value, you're looking for potentially a, 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 a you know, a, an under market value deal, especially if they go out and they do our players for Corbin, and if there are players for Bryce, if they do kind of spend money elsewhere, you know, they probably won't drop probably won't break the bank for a second baseman but if you can find Mauro Gonzalez he fits he fits because he, he makes a lot of sense for them as far as playing second base he could help out at first base as a backup for Ryan Zerman he could help out in the outfield as you know if you trade one of your outfielders um you know kind of help out with some depth there and he'd be just a really valuable bat off the bat, a bench you know with him and Howie Kendrick whichever one's in a lineup you don't lose anything on your bench you know by replacing that I'm not sure how realistic that is just because of I think the price number might you know, there's going to be teams willing to bid for Marvel Gonzalez pretty heftily, I think. Um, and that's, of course, just kind of me speculating right now. But, you know, a player like that, somebody who they can play, Josh Harrison makes a lot of sense as well. So they can play him at second base. And then on off days, he's, you know, comfortable coming off the bench. But also they can play him at, you know, move somebody to first base or move somebody around a diamond here to just kind of fill a couple of needs at one. Um, I think there's still a bench spot or two away that's going to be open right now, uh, just kind of based the way their roster is constructed. And I think that having somebody who can really step in, you know, is going to give you something on offense uh, from second base to compliment Kendrick, to compliment Defoe when you, when you need your defense in there. And I think would just help this team go to the next level. And I think when you look at just the way the division is shaping up and you see the moves the Braves made this, this week, uh, the Phillies obviously have been players for all the guys that we keep talking about um, as well in free agency. Um, it's going to be a really good division. And I think this division is only getting better. And for the Nats to, to keep pace, and I don't think they can kind of afford to um, just kind of, patch and, and, and piece together some of the holes they have, you know, they're going to have to go out and be aggressive. And, and I think that so far they've shown a willingness to do that with the meetings they've had with Corbin, with kind of the, the, the checking in on some of the second basement. And of course, by also keeping Bryce Harper kind of at arm's length as well, knowing they can always revisit that, you know, if it comes to it. So um, it's going to be a good division and it's going to be a fun race in NL East. And I'm excited to see kind of what the Nats are going to be able to do to really try to set themselves either uh, among those favorites or even apart from them. In a baseball world where you see lots of teams tanking, it is kind of neat that in the NL East, while you do have the Marlins on a clear rebuild, the other four teams all seem to be in win-now mode, which is really cool, and, and you don't see it in a lot of divisions and should make for an exciting 2019. Now, if they sign a second baseman to a multi-year deal, what does that mean for the guys on the inside coming up like Carter Keeboom? Yeah, I think that's and that's kind of, you know, where it gets tricky here. And I think that when they talk about not wanting or not needing a second base, I think that's part of it is that Carter Keyboom is probably going to make his debut as early as this year. You know, if not next year, it'll probably be a big league invite to spring training this year. Um, and if he continues to progress well and, and, and they need to have a need there midseason, I could see him being called up at some point. Um, so, yeah, I think they that's kind of the hesitation for them of signing a guy like LeMayhew. Is that you know you sign him to a three or four or four year deal, and all of a sudden you've got a guy second base blocked for for a couple of years, and obviously Trey Turner is at shortstop, and there's kind of no room for the wiggle there. So I think they probably want to avoid that. 
And that's that's why when I when I point to options for second base for them, somebody who can play first, who can move around the diamond makes a lot of sense just because you don't have to to kind of just block uh, him and Garcia as well, who's probably a little bit away, but yeah, a little further away than Keyboom, but he's still maybe two years away. And, and I think, you know, by 2020, they think he could really be a guy who would come and help them. So I, I think that on one hand, they'll probably shy away unless they just find a deal that falls into their lap and makes a lot of sense. They'll probably shy away from anybody that's going to directly block Keyboom um, because, again, he's, he's going to be ready sooner, if not, uh, s- you know, sooner, if not this season at some point. Um, for them to, to, to kind of impact. And they, they think very highly of him. And I think that, um, you know, he's not necessarily not untouchable at this point, but they're starting to get to this point where they're willing to kind of see what he has in, in Washington. Um, and they don't really want to trade him. One more topic for you, Jamal. The non-tender deadline is coming up on Friday at 8 o'clock Eastern time. It's a chance where teams basically either have to tender contracts and then you head towards the arbitration path or you can non-tender players, certain players, and and they are free to go, free agents. Uh, anybody interesting kind of in on the borderline there as to what the team might do and that that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, you know, they've got seven guys up for arbitration. Uh, the... The, um, the, the you know six of them are no brainers. Um, the one that kind of is, is out there is Sammy Solis, and Solis has been uh, frustrating and tantalizing, and you know the potential in his left arm is, is kind of just vexed the Nationals for the last couple of seasons. You know, 2016 he he came up and it was, and it was really really good. He got hurt, uh, but outside of that, Dusty Baker trusted him in a lot of huge spots. Uh, much to the chagrin of some Nationals fans, but you know, he was he was a guy who was in a, a lot of big spots in the postseason in 2016 and 2017. And the start of last year, 2018, uh, Dave Martinez was in the same boat, you know, putting Solis out there for multiple innings and, and big outs to try to bridge the gap in the bullpen. I think they, they see him at his best to being a guy who could be that kind of swing fireman to throw two innings and, uh, uh, you know, really just be a – we see we see this in a lot of bullpens nowadays in the playoffs as well, just how effective that kind of reliever can be. The downside to that is you know, the past two years, ZRA is somewhere around six, hasn't been able to stay healthy. He really could not get lefties out at all last year, which was a bit surprising just how badly he struggled. I mean, lefties had a 990 OPS or something like that against him, which is just sort of absurd. Um, and, and, you know, part of that, I think that they're, they're it's interesting to see whether or not they're willing to give up on this guy. Um, you know, he's going to be due for a raise as a first-year arbitration player. You're probably still talking about less than a million dollars. So you're not talking about a huge, huge financial commitment. Um, I think it's still, you can go both ways here. And I think that there's still some debate right now in the organization. Um, the sense that I got as of uh, late on Wednesday was that he, that they're leaning toward probably keeping him. Uh, and especially you send a retirement contract, you can re him in a spring training and then kind of figure out where you go from there. But you know, there's a guy who's going to be 30 years old out of options and it's really not shown a whole, whole lot. Uh, consistently the last two years, I think that that is, that's just kind of what gives you hesitation to say is it's the best to cut our ties here if we don't really see a realistic spot for him in the bullpen with the Nats in 2019. So he's going to be an interesting case. I think regardless, uh, you know, whether or not they, they want to hang on to him or not, um, I think Sammy Solis is, is kind of at a, a weird position in his career right now where he can kind of turn it around and be a very useful bullpen arm. Um, or, you know, the next couple of years, uh, you know, could be kind of difficult for him trying to find a spot and, and crack with the team. And again, that deadline, 8 o'clock Eastern time on Friday. You can find Jamal on Twitter at Jamal Collier, and I'm on there as at MLB underscore McMaster. This podcast and all of our MLB Extras Club podcasts can be found at MLB.com backslash podcast or on iTunes by searching MLB Extras. That'll do it for this edition of our Nationals pod. Tune in again next time.